Hi everyone, this is Tim Coffey, your host for Love and Peace, a Beatles podcast. Just like you, I'm a huge, lifelong fan of the Beatles uh, ever since 1964 when my sister and myself saw them on the Ed Sullivan Show. Their songs, well, you could say, have been the soundtrack of my life, maybe like yours. So, let's get started to look at their legacy, because they really, truly have a legacy, as you know. By the way, you can give me your feedback and your Beatles experience by emailing me at uh, lapbtls at gmail.com. So, let's get started. Today we're going to do an overview of the Beatles' career. It all started July 6, 1957, in suburban Liverpool at a church feat. John Lennon and his quarrymen were playing on a flatbed truck, uh, and playing. Uh, John was playing the guitar and only knew four different banjo chords because that's what his mother, Julia, taught him. She played the banjo. And, to top it all off, John would always forget the words. John's friend, Ivan Vaughn, brought one of his friends, a young lad named Paul McCartney. Ivan wanted Paul to meet John, and after John and the quarrymen were done playing, uh, Ivan introduced John to Paul. Uh, John acted unimpressed, but Paul asked if he could play the guitar and did, and did a really, really good job. And he sang a couple of songs, and he knew the words. So, long story short there, a couple weeks later, through Ivan, John invites Paul to join the quarrymen. And a couple weeks after that, Paul invites his schoolboy friend, who's a really good guitarist, uh, George Harrison. Now, the Beatles practice at a place called the Kabash Club. This was the home of um, Pete Best and his mother, and the basement was reconverted with the help of the Beatles, who did painting and rearranging um, their basement into basically a teen club. This is where they practice. Pete Best became the drummer of uh, the Quarrymen, and John got his best friend, a really talented art, art student uh, by the name of Stu Sutcliffe, to be the, uh, play the bass. Stu actually sold one of his really good paintings for a lot of money uh, to buy that bass, and of course, he truly had no idea how to play it. Now, you have to understand, Liverpool was a port, is a port city uh, on the Atlantic, and a lot of sailors were bringing records back from all over the world, but especially from the USA. Uh, at the time, skittle groups were big, in, in Liverpool and in England, but in Liverpool, the influence was growing on rock and roll. Now, they had such really good groups and individual singers like the Everly Brothers, uh, Buddy Holly, eventually Elvis Presley. Then the Beatles really latched on to all of those uh, groups right there and individuals. They became the Sober Beatles, then the Beatles. Now, I might mention something about Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Uh, Buddy Holly was really big, uh, for John Leonard especially. Uh, he was big because uh, Buddy Holly wrote his own music and recorded his own music, and he wore glasses, which John Lennon uh, needed, but he didn't do at, at first. Uh, Paul McCartney was really captivated by the Everly Brothers. In fact, to this day, in his kitchen, he's got a framed picture of the Everly Brothers. So, their very first acetate, in a Liverpool record store was uh, Beatles, the Silver Beatles at that time, playing That'll Be the Day. So, uh, they were playing locally, and then they got their big break, uh, playing over in Hamburg, Germany, in strips, uh, strip clubs. 
they would play six days a week for eight hours. I call this their finishing school. They did that three different times over a period of about a year and a half or so. Uh, they were getting big in, in, in Liverpool and eventually got uh, a gig for noontime concerts uh, over lunch uh, at the Cavern Club, and they played there for over 300 times. One of those times, a gentleman who owned um, a record store, a family record store, a gentleman by the name of Brian Epstein came in to the Cavern Club over lunchtime because he heard about the Beatles. Uh, girls especially were coming into Brian's record store asking about different Beatle records, and Brian didn't have them, uh, and he wanted to find out more about these, these uh, guys called the Beatles. So, Brian went over, listened to him, and eventually Brian went up to the Beatles and said, I would like to be your manager, and I think I can get your record contract. So that pretty well sealed the deal because that's what the Beatles wanted, was a record contract. On, I think it was January 2nd, 1962, um, Brian Epstein got the Beatles their very first record contract with EMI. George Martin was a record producer for EMI. George did a lot of classical music, uh, record producing, and also comedy uh, albums. And George said, you know what? He listened to the Beatles. He said, I will record you and record your songs, but you have to get a new drummer. So the Beatles told Brian, go tell Pete he's no longer uh, in, in the group, and we want Ringo Starr, uh, a drummer that they saw Rory and the... And, and the uh, Calhoun's, I think it was, in Liverpool. So the Beatles recorded Love Me Do. It became uh, a hit, but not as not number one. Then they recorded From Me to You. Then by the time they recorded Please Please Me, that went to number one. The Beatles were touring the UK, and um, they toured Europe and wanted to come to America. They were approached by Ed Sullivan to come to America and the Beatles told Brian, we're not going to come to America until we have a number one hit. And while the Beatles were in Paris over a two-week um, concert, uh, the Beatles got their number one hit, I Want to Hold Your Hand, in um, the United States. So, uh, with no success, they went in the U.S., they went uh, to America, and they were apprehensive. What, what do they need us for? They have everything there, they, the, the Beatles thought. Anyway, they appeared... On, on Ed Sullivan. By the way, Ed Sullivan landed in Heathrow. Um, this is back in 1963. And at the time, there were thousands of girls at the airport screaming. And they, Ed Sullivan thought uh, the Queen was landing. Well, it turned out to be the Beatles uh, coming back to, to England from their, their Swedish tour. And that's when um, Ed Sullivan really caught on with the Beatles. Now, um, Walter Cronkite at CBS News was going to end his nightly broadcast with a, a special about the Beatles uh, coming to America. Well, America never saw that because that happened on Friday, November 22nd, 1963. That's the day that John Kennedy got killed. So, fast forward to February 9th, 1964, the Ed Sullivan Show. The Beatles did three shows. They got paid $10,000 for those three shows um, one in um, New York and two in Miami. They also did a, a DC concert. And after that, and after the, the Beatles started to captivate the United States and, and the audience and the teens uh, in, in, in America, 
They went home to England and they started filming A Hard Day's Night. They did that in six weeks. I think they started in March or April of 1964 and it, it premiered that summer. Uh, the Beatles came back, did a U.S. tour, did a world tour. And by the way, in April uh, 1964, the Beatles had the five top hits. That record stood for um, up until, I think, 19, or 2021. Um, and then, uh, again, what a record that was. The Beatles did two more world tours. They did four movies. In 1966, they stopped touring. They did studio music with Sgt. Pepper. The White Album, Let It Be, Abbey Road. Now, business and finances really interfered with, with the Beatles. They, they ended up spending more time, not so much in the studio, but uh, with business meetings. They had squabbles over the manager. John and George and Ringo wanted Alan Klein. George or Paul McCartney wanted uh, his father-in-law, uh, an entertainment lawyer in New York, John Eastman. But uh, Paul agreed. Uh, eventually, Macca sued um, to break up the, the Beatles, but before they did that, uh, they they did the Get Back uh, session for Let It Be, and of course now that's out on a three uh, three uh, docu series over nine hours, and now it's in uh, IMAX theaters for uh, a theater uh, for a presentation. And in 1970, um, Paul said, "I'm leaving the group." However, John said. He's leaving the group back in September of 1969. John and Yoko were in New York. <clears throat> George did touring, did charitable concerts. George, by the way, with his concert for Bangladesh, was the very first person who did a rock and roll concert to benefit a charity. Ringo was touring and recording. Paul had wings and then a solo career. Unfortunately, in 1980, John got murdered. Ironically, when John was, was dying and trying to hold on to a thread of his life at the hospital in New York, the hospital PA was playing the song, All My Loving, and they didn't know that John was there. George died in 2001 of lung cancer. Uh, Ringo and Paul tour and record still. In 1995, the, the three Beatles did the anthology series, which was a huge hit. My first time seeing them, was I saw Paul McCartney and Wings in 1976 uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in Landover, Maryland at the Capitol Center. I actually traded in 1963 the only Beach Boy album that I had uh, for the, the Swan 45 record label of She Loves You. So in moving here uh, to where we are currently in, in Iowa, uh, I did kind of an anal thing. I counted the number of books that I had because I love to read and I had, it turns out, 35 Beatle books. So I said, there's got to be something that, that I can do with those books and some of my trivia knowledge. So I ended up teaching uh, six different classes at the local community college in a lifelong learning session for the Beatles and Paul McCartney and one on John Lennon. Uh, by the way, Paul McCartney ended up um, touring Russia with the Red Square concert. And it turns out, that's how many Russians learned English was by listening to Beatle records, which were banned in the Soviet Union at the time. So um, anyway, uh, here's a story about John. He was he was so blind and he was in vain, very vain about wearing glasses. He and, and Paul would take the bus 
and, and pass this particular neighborhood on a regular basis. And uh, eventually, John turned to Paul and said, Paul, those three people out, out in front of that house have been out there for a couple of days playing cards. And John said, or Paul said, John, come on, those aren't three people uh, playing cards. That's a nativity scene. Uh, I'm going to end this by talking about what Tom Brokaw of NBC News retired said about, um, well, really the Beatles, but 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 about music. He wrote a great book called the called Boom, about the the '60s generation, and he was asked at the end of the interview, "You did all this great research and had a, a great uh, book on on the 1960s. What's the one thing that stands out in the 1960s?" And Brokaw turned and said, after he thought a, a little while, and said, the music. And he said, you didn't hear the 20s music in the 1960s, but you hear the 60s music in the 2020s. So a valid point. Im important because that's the impact that music, as well as the Beatles, had on on our culture and our, and our life today. Well, that's it for this episode. Join us again next time for another edition of Love and Peace, a Beatles podcast. Now, go listen to your favorite Beatles song or album. Love and peace, folks.